Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and if you're like me, then you love listening to podcasts. My favorite are the educational ones. Love learning audibly as well? Then you'll fall in love with audio courses on Listenable. Want to learn communication skills and level up your social game? Or are you on a health kick and looking to learn more about fitness? Whatever you're into, there's an audio course for you on Listenable. With Listenable, you can enjoy five-minute audio lessons while commuting, exercising, or walking your dog. You can choose from over 3,000-plus original audio lessons created by well-loved experts. Use the coupon code COLINZU, C-O-L-I-N-Z-H-U, at listenable.io, and you'll get 30% off a year of Listenable. Just check out the show notes below. Thanks for listening, and now back to Thrive Bites. Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for hopping on. Today, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest with us today. This is Dr. Uma Naidu. Say hi to everyone, Uma. Hi. Hi, Colin. Hi, everyone. It's great <laughs> to be here. Oh, yes. I'm so excited for her to be with us uh, today. Um, so Dr. Naidu is for those of you who do not know who she is, uh, she basically founded and directs the first hospital based nutritional psychiatry service. Um, and she's also the director of nutritional and lifestyle psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital, the world fame, <laughs> world renowned uh, hospital and the director of nutritional psychiatry at MGH Academy and also serves as their faculty. And she's today considered Harvard's food mood expert. And uh, she's been featured on many publications such as Wall Street Journal. And she has a new book called This Is Your Brain on Food. And uh, definitely would love to get into that uh, more later, but I want to learn more about you. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, thank you for you know spending some time out um, to be able to share your uh, wisdom and expertise with us today. Thank you, Colin. Thanks for, for inviting me and I'm excited. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I think, uh, you know, we're in 2020 in the age of the pandemic and, uh, you know, really focusing on community and togetherness. And mm -hmm. it's definitely changed our healthcare landscape uh, a lot. And I feel that more so now we need more collaboration and need more 
just just conversations like we're about to have to be able to kind of further the work that we that we do. We were talking offline about you know each other's work, and um, you know I'm just really excited about you know what you have going on. So, um, and you're calling from uh, from Boston. So so let's start off. Um, I love hearing about people's origin of story and how they got from point A to point B. And what I would love for you to share with us. Uh, with the audience about, you know, what, what got you first initially started to go into psychiatry and then how you evolved into uh, integrating nutrition and food into your practice? Thanks, Colin. That's a great question. I uh, found myself in medical school just naturally attracted to speaking more with people and trying to find out um, more about really what they were thinking and how the brain worked. So I was sort of attracted to that aspect uh, in medical school. And I also came from a from a, a family of physicians and was surrounded by medical talk all of the time. Um, but also, I think one significant factor is I was also from a very large uh, extended family, um, Indian in origin, and there were always multiple cooks and, and lots of love around food in the kitchen. So food and nutrition was very much a big part of how I grew up. When I decided to apply for residency in psychiatry, um, I didn't know how to cook properly. And that was because mm-hmm. I came from a large family where I was spoiled by <laughs> mothers and aunts and grandmothers all cooking. All the, all um, the uncles and aunties, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, I learned how to bake. My mom uh, is a double bonded physician and she uh, recognized early that I loved science. And so she taught me how to bake. So you know, the funny, the story that's kind of funny here, Colin, is I say that as I got married and went into residency, my poor mother-in-law was thinking I'm going to feed her son cake and nothing else, you know, <laughs> but the truth is I, I loved food, so I wanted to learn how to cook. But I also started to pay attention to what I was prescribing to my patients and understanding, therefore, that nutrition, which we know is continues to be a gap in our medical education, mm-hmm. is something that I could you know, talk about in the session. And uh, we had also talked about lifestyle medicine and really bring that into the discussion with my patients. So it, it very early on in my career in psychiatry became an important part of what I was doing. So I decided to pursue things that I enjoyed. And I found that, uh, that that inspired me and I took myself to culinary school as you did uh, mm-hmm. mostly to follow a passion and uh, mm-hmm. the reality is that it it came together in a very organic way for me um, mm-hmm. but I felt that you know patients with mental health and individuals struggling with mental health needed more in sort of their medical armor than just a medication Mm-hmm. While I do prescribe medication, I felt from early on it was important to talk about lifestyle, talk about hydration, talk about, you know, movement, whatever appealed to the, to that right. patient, mindfulness, um, you know, what, what did they feel they could do to make them feel better in addition to what I might have been prescribing and then what they were eating. So it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, it evolved in that way uh, for mm-hmm. me. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I can, I can just, uh, so I, I've been very, very privileged to have attended an actual Indian wedding in India. Wow, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, so, so I, and, and I grew up with a lot of Indian friends and, uh, my particular 
friend that I uh, attended his wedding, um, I grew up, you know, um, during childhood and he lived in uh, Jaipur and I uh, was able to visit the, 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 inf- the, the famous golden triangle to see Agra, you know, New wow. Delhi and all that stuff. And, you know, I've always loved Indian food and I've always been surrounded by, um, you know, uh, my friends and their parties and, you know, there's always a party, right? There's always dancing, exactly. there's always food. And there's, there's always, always t- there's always way too much food that anyone yeah, can actually exactly, eat, you know? Exactly. And, um, and so as you're describing your extended family, I was just thinking to myself, all those different memories that brought, brought back to me, um, you know, just, uh, it, it was really, really, mm-hmm. really, uh, I loved it. Um, I'm and, so uh, glad to hear that because they're a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the weddings are, are a lot of fun. They, they're a little bit tiring because they go on for a long time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but the fun parts of the, you know, the ceremony, uh, the color, yeah. Um, the flavors of the food and you know yeah. coming together yeah you don't just invite your immediate family it's almost like yeah. you've got a whole village so it was it yeah. was and it, it's because traveling is a big passion of mine and it's very fascinating to see how different cultures express themselves and you know indians you know through their food it's through their dancing you know to me it's like the two biggest highlights and you know and the wedding um i think he had to shorten it it was like three days and right. <laughs> for them that was like short <laughs> because it can go for like a week right exactly things can go on yeah. for a week and you know the other the other thing um um, uh, about about the food that I think uh, uh, different cultures bring as well as the spices, right? And those mm-hmm. have so many health benefits that we don't necessarily always talk about. So mm-hmm. that's also something that I kind of bring with me from my childhood, just learning exactly. about the things that we did. You know, turmeric was part of what we ate every day. Um, right. And so when I shared with my patients, it's it's not just because it's been discovered <laughs> to be healthier or thought to be. You know, my grandmother would tell me this years ago. So yeah, um, yeah, funny. yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, like you said, it's, um, you know, I, one of my, one of my, uh, chef instructors, I had him on the first season when I interviewed him, he's, he's Italian. Um, mm-hmm. he's an Italian American, um, very, very deep Italian roots, but he actually, uh, went to an ashram, um, uh, for a year and, wow. uh, he taught himself or he also learned Ayurvedic cooking. Wow. Um, so Indian cooking is a very huge part of his repertoire. And, so um, interesting. and it, what's interesting, the biggest thing that I remember from that interview was he said that Italian cooking is all about fresh ingredients and mm-hmm. Indian cooking is all about the different, you know, combination of herbs and spices and the complexity of, you know, of, the meals that came from that. And obviously there's a lot of health benefits, um, you know, from that as well. So, um, so along the way, when you were, you know, going through this journey and then, you know, you got the cooking involved and, you know, all this other stuff, um, has there been going a little bit deeper personally, has there anything, you know, from your own health journey that you had to extract, you know, from that added towards, you know, your practice and teaching people? Or were there other lessons that, you know, you just kind of, you know, learned along the way, either through patient accounts, um, or other family members that kind of uh, facilitated and added towards that uh, journey towards uh the interaction between food and, uh, um, you know, mental health. Absolutely. I think it's almost a little bit of all of those, um, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of what 
what my family was rooted in. Um, I think that I associated food with um, with love and with bringing mm-hmm. a, a sense of community that brought us together. And mm-hmm. I learned that, you know, there were many delicious things I ate growing up, but not everything was completely healthy. Um, mm-hmm. So there were things about it. For example, what I took with me was those beautiful memories that I still hold in my heart. But I also then realized as I understood nutrition and more about the culinary world that you can take uh, recipes that you enjoyed as a child and maybe make a slightly more healthy twist on them and Mm -hmm. still include the spices, which are calorie-free, salt-free, and -hmm. pretty easy to incorporate, uh, even if you don't cook Indian food. So you can add turmeric to a soup or you can add it to a smoothie, you know. Mm-hmm. with a mm-hmm. pinch of black pepper to make it more active. So so those those things are things I drew on. Um, and then in terms of what I found uh, during residency was that it was, it was a very stressful time. And I made that, really made that connection for myself between how I was starting to eat differently and crave mm-hmm. different foods because I was stressed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at the end of residency, as I kind of graduated- Wait, stressed during- Stress during residency? <laughs> I know. I've it's never heard of that one. Well, until you go to culinary school, though, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. You know what I find? You know what I find really interesting is that there's actually very similar parallels between True. you know in, in the residency dynamics and hierarchy, and also in the kitchen hierarchy, right? Abs- like, did absolutely. You, did you see that same parallel? I was like, this I, is very interesting. <laughs> I, so true, absolutely. And so I just thought, well, you know. Uh, apparently at that point I didn't know I was going to culinary school and making that decision Uh but I made that started to make that connection I was eating differently Um, I live in Boston and it's a much colder climate Um, Mm -hmm. and so you know I I was really made this I I, I was remember saying to an aunt of mine I'm craving candy and I'm just not much of a candy eater and and she explained that also um, having moved from a warmer climate that you know, it's it's something. You know, she was a physician, and she explained that that it, your body is starting to crave those foods because you're in a colder climate. And I started mm-hmm. to early on make those connections, and I think we almost understand so much better now. And mm-hmm. I, I realized that I had to make a change to manage my own stress, and I had to, at the end of residency, really take a step back and and eat more healthily and that kind of stuff. And you know, I I think that. One of the things I would also like to share as I, I, I uh, share my story is that I love food. And, and I think it's clear from our conversation that mm-hmm. you do as well. And mm-hmm. I think that we should be able to enjoy that wedding when we go to a friend's, uh, you know, friend's wedding mm-hmm. overseas and, and really have fun and really embrace the different flavors and the culture and the tastes and mm-hmm. the joy. But then mm-hmm. there's a way to reset. You know, there's a way to reset and go back to the healthy foods and your routine yeah. and that type of stuff. Yeah. And I always share that with with uh, with uh, patients because I I think that if we um, if we don't share that, then when we live in a very restricted sort of set of rules, and and yeah. for me that's when um, when people when when any one of us is set up to fail because it's too restricted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I, I can. I can definitely agree, um, you know, with all of that. I mean, I think I think a lot about life um, is, you know, not black and white. It, a lot of it is gray. A lot of it is cloudy. You know, if given the chance, everything would just be mud. You know, what I'm saying it's just, <laughs> it, it, it just it just wouldn't be, you know, just purely wet or purely dry. There's always exactly. going to be some somewhere on the spectrum uh, with with you know all this. You know, what I'm saying and patience. Exactly. 
patients are very, very similar. You know, we are very, very similar. And Absolutely. so I think, um, you know, like you, like doc, uh, Dr. Uma and I, you know, we, we have gone through the routes of really practicing what we preach. And I love the fact that you've mentioned that, uh, you know, when you go to weddings, you know, you don't really need to put yourself in a box and say to yourself, Oh, I'm not going to have that or like, you know, have that. And for me, I, um, I, I focus on a plant, um, plant, plant predominant, uh, lifestyle, you know, mm -hmm. that's not to say that I don't indulge, you know, in, in something non-plant, you know, right. derived, you know, you know, what I say to myself is, not necessarily, you know, with the concepts of moderation, but it's, you know, you're, you're, you're not poisoning yourself in, into that re regard. It's more about, you know, that you can let yourself, you know, go for those moments, but just know that, you know, your foundation is, is heavily um, ingrained in, you know, you know, what, what is good for you and your body. And so that's important to talk about and relate to patients because <laughs> I find that, you know, you know, as a patient myself and, you know, seeing physicians and, you know, you want to be able to, the patient's perspective is really to understand that, hey, your provider is a, is a human being as well. You know, your, your, your provider um, makes mistakes. You know, we fail, we, you know, have Absolutely. missteps and, mis you know, yeah, none and, of us uh, is perfect. Absolutely. Exactly. And we learn from it. So, as you know, like nutrition is evol is an evolving science. And so we do, we make the best choices and educate ourselves based off the information that we have available today. So I appreciate you sharing that. Well, thank you. And I, I like, I also like what you said, Colin, about, about your, what you eat, because I think that, um, I think that too often people come into my office and are very polarized. They feel they have to either give up a food group or they've been told, unless someone has an allergy or an intolerance that is very uncomfortable, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they shouldn't be leaving out foods uh, unless they, somebody don't like something, um, you know. Uh, so so I, I think that when, when things become polarized for people, um, they can't sustain it. So if they, they give up I... certain type of food, I often see a boomerang effect and, um, it, it's it's not pleasant because they, they feel like they right. failed at that point. And so I do think that having almost a sense of moderation, enjoy the good things. I talk about a cheat day or what mm. I, I, what I, I've renamed yeah. that a treat day, actually. Um, <laughs> I used to call it a cheat day, but, 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 you know, in terms of, you know, being a psychiatrist and always trying to positively reframe things for people, like I talk about, you know, let's say your seven day week starts on a Wednesday, always mm -hmm. have a day, that maybe it's Wednesday for you, maybe it's Saturday for someone else, maybe a you know someone who's doing emergency room shifts. It might be a different day of the week, but that day is the day that you know the family takes their turn in whatever they really most enjoy, and and just mm -hmm. eat it in moderation, enjoy it, savor it, and and the next day go back to your healthy eating because it's you know and whether that could be that in it's, it could be a steak or it could be more of a plant based option you know but whatever mm -hmm. that person selects. Um, mm -hmm. Is important. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's all about, it's kind of like coaching, you know, if anyone in the audience that's a health coach or life coach is really about meeting people where they are at, right? And exactly. not to penalize them or punish them if they do something wrong. And, um, you know, it's all about 1%, you know, like just doing just just like moving the needle a little bit 1% every single day, right? Exactly. Because I care. 
for me, I care about progress over perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of the word diet. I think it has a lot more negative connotations Absolutely. as opposed to positive. And uh, it's really about, you know, just doing better than, than yesterday, you know? So, exactly. and we all want, we all want everyone to live in optimal health. And we just know that, you know, uh, the evidence shows that a, a plant predominant, you know, foundation is the way to go. And you know, we're not telling, we're not telling everyone to go vegan overnight. That's not what we're trying to say. So, so I'm curious, you know, coming from that, you know, Indian heritage and descent, you know, how much of what you do, um, is the balance between evidence base of just, nutrition versus, you know, do you also incorporate Ayurvedic, you know, theories into, you know, what you do? So, you know, I think that's, I, I feel that what I've brought to my work is a deep understanding of Ayurveda, Mm -hmm. but, and of course a healthy respect for it. But I also feel like I've had to adapt more personalized nutrition plans Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. what my patients come in asking, because often they're really struggling with the things that many of us are struggling with, you know, which diet should I follow? And again, I, I like what you said, because I, I try as much as possible not to use that word. And, and, and it's because that people feel they have to give something up. So when I talk about a lifestyle plan or what are they going to eat or even a meal plan, it's so much better. So yeah. I, I wouldn't say that I give people Ayurvedic treatment plans, but I mm-hmm. use the principles sometimes in trying to guiding them through. Um, mm-hmm. And I try to share recipes from all worlds so that um, so that I that they can actually implement something because quite mm-hmm. often they'll come to me and say, "Well, I, I I saw you know this this clinician and I got a list of stuff that I should follow, but what do I actually do?" Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I had a, a patient unexpectedly just because I, I guess that in my head there was a preformed opinion about this, which I realized was a bias. But, you know, from a from a businesswoman, actually. And um, she said to me, you know, Dr. Naidu, you, you keep telling me to eat avocados and that they're a healthy fat, but I have no idea of what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was really helpful for me to know uh, mm-hmm. because she mostly didn't cook at home. And part of her journey has been to start to learn to make even simple things for herself and embrace mm-hmm. healthy eating that way. But, you know, she she would buy it and she wouldn't know whether it was right, whether it was, you know, she could eat it. What should she do with it? How should she cut it? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think not understanding that one should not make assumptions around food um, mm-hmm. also uh, walking people through a simple thing like what you can how you can make a vinaigrette and mm-hmm. save on you know the added calories the added sodium the preservatives run and the expense of a store-bought salad dressing just mm-hmm. simple mm-hmm. things that you can walk them through really make a difference so um, I tend to meet meet like you said meet the person where they're at if they're interested in something from Ayurveda I'll bring it in but I wouldn't say it's the basis of the food right. plants that I that I drew, that I designed. Right. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Dr. Colin Zhu, AKA the chef doc. I just want to take a few moments of your time to talk to you about something Something that I feel needs to give reflection and pause for. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? 
I know for me, I've been on the self-work journey for a decade now. And I remember in my personal experiences uh, through my doctor's journeys and also from traveling the world, I was always searching for the next step or thinking that happiness was a destination. However, it's not. What I found instead was that life was a process. And learning about life was also a process and a practice. And that the state of happiness and the state of joy and contentment was also a practice. For those of you who don't know, since I don't share that much on my podcast, is that I actually battle with anxiety, OCD, and in the past, episodes of depression. However, little by little, step by step, after seeking extra help, I've been able to achieve monumental things in my life that I've been eternally grateful for. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp is a sponsor of this podcast. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. A couple of reviews. This is by... Rebecca Raymer. Becky has literally saved my life by truly understanding me. She has given me self-talk strategies and different thought pattern exercises that have made me stronger and a more aware person. I am so, so grateful to have found her. I've been to so many different therapists and none have helped me like Becky has. This is another review for Adam Johnson. I've had counselors before both on BetterHelp and in person through work. And Adam, by far, is the best counselor I've ever talked with. I feel like he actually listens to and what is going on. He asks questions to help you navigate your thoughts. And you can tell that he is listening and wants you to help you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash the chef doc. That's better H-E-L-P. And join the over 1.4 million people taking charge of their mental state with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Thrive Bite listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash the chef doc. T H E C H E F D O C. Thank you for listening, guys, and back to the episode. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Right. And, and I, I, um, I think being personalized is the way to go. Um, you know, there was something, something that I've learned through my health coaching, um, you know, training way back when, and it's some, it's the concept of bio individuality and yes. it's really about, you know, every, every, there's no diet that fits everyone, right. You kind of have to figure out 
all their attributes, you know, not just their medical history and family history, but, you know, what are their preferences, you know, from a culinary, you know, perspective, what are their preferences, what are their tastes like, you know, what do they resonate with? What do they, you know, what are they more adverse with, um, you know, figuring out what kind of palate or, you know, figuring out how to venturous they are. Yeah. Exactly. So and, there's just so many things. Exactly. And it totally, you know, links back to all the emerging research around the gut microbiome and how, mm-hmm. you know, everyone is encouraging a diversity of plants or a diversity of foods and diversity of fiber, you know, mm-hmm. to encourage because the microbiome is so unique to, to each one of us. So it, it ties into that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I love to kind of segue into that and learn more about, you know, your current work, um, which is, you know, you, you have a book uh, that says, this is your brain on food. And you talk about concepts in it, you know, um, for example, neuroinflammation, neurooxidative stress, the gut, you know, connection. Can you go over the basics um, of that and give a sense of what is breaking that down? What is it that you have found and learned, you know, with your research with it? Sure. Um, so I, I, I would like to probably start with what I think is drives most of it, um, even though they're all interconnected. And that mm-hmm. is sort of the gut brain axis, because many people don't realize that 90% of the serotonin, in fact, slightly more of the serotonin receptors are located in the gut. And, you know, Colin, we know from anatomy and embryology that the gut and the brain are connected by the vagus nerve. Um, what, what also happens with these connections is because there are, there's the bidirection of neurochemicals and substances traveling between the gut and the brain, when we eat, you know, say processed foods or sugary foods or foods that are generally unhealthy for us, the, the gut is disrupted and the, and the mm-hmm. good bacteria in the gut and each one of us is so unique in what we have in our guts is disrupted. So that disruption then impacts how and what is sent up and down to the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so very simply, some of the things that could happen are inflammation. You could mm-hmm. have inflammation of the gut and then inflammation of the brain. It's not always clear which one starts first, but we do think that the gut imbalance is where we think that it emerges from. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, the fact that when serotonin is impacted, your mood and anxiety, because all of our pharmaceuticals in psychiatry are based on either serotonin, epinephrine, dopamine, and all the Mm -hmm. major neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. So if you just think about the fact that there's serotonin receptors in the gut and this imbalance occurs, it's going to affect certain symptoms. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, it, 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 evolves into other things that get involved, such as stress. So Mm -hmm. stress, just physical stress, mental stress becomes, it it evolves within your body in the sense that stress affects the HPA axis, affects your cortisol, disrupts your Mm -hmm. gut. And before Mm -hmm. you know, you know, you, you having neurooxidative stress. So it also, it doesn't just sit in your gut, it also impacts your brain. So what, what I've basically done in the book is we reviewed probably about seven, 700 um, research papers and we narrowed it down, we whittled it down to really make it digestible to people to read through the different mm-hmm. conditions, foods that they should embrace and foods that they should, should avoid. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, I think that the, the theme throughout the book is how 
um, how does the gut impact this and how, what can you do to eat differently? And, you know, uh, uh, I don't say this in the book, but I often talk about it this way, you know, it's, why did your grandmother, your mother tell you to eat your salad? You know, the, <laughs> it, the, because it actually turns out to be a pretty healthy ingredient, you know, greens uh-huh, are good for uh-huh. you. So it's using those principles and tying it together for people, but then also dividing it up into different uh, disease models but also, you know, someone who may be anxious may also have mood symptoms. So they might look at a few chapters in the book. So therefore, there's also some overlap of the foods that, that uh-huh. run as a theme throughout. And then at the end, um, you know, we, we share recipes. And, and I think you'll relate to this, Colin. I felt it was important to help people, <laughs> like, like my patient who didn't know what to do with an avocado, to set up a kitchen. You know, yeah. what is means and plus. Like, what, what, does it, what does it mean to just break it down for yourself get, you know, get yourself set up for success, you know, and, and get things ready so that you can do batch cooking. You can, you can effectively yes. make a few things at a time to de-stress your life, but also be healthy, have healthy options in your fridge. And then, you know, we shared some recipes based on each chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. So I, I mean, the mind, mind, gut, body connection has been Oh man, and in the literature for a very, very long time. It has, and um, and I'm not sure why certain world event. I mean, the pandemic definitely brings it out more, as we we have seen. You know, emphasizing mm-hmm. the gut health, emphasizing immunity. Yes. You know, now you know we know that about seventy percent of it lives in our gut. You know, yes. you know, I don't know why it comes in and out of people's consciousness, but you know, the res- the the evidence and research has been there for a very, very long time. You're right. To, for for our audience members that are not healthcare related, you know, conceptually, you know, how would you think about inflammation? You know, the way I describe inflammation for patients is kind of like, you know, chronic inflammation is kind of like, you know, like a bucket or maybe like okay. a bathtub, right? Okay. And it just slowly, slowly just kind of fills up over time where after a while, whether it's you know, increase uh, oxidative stress or, you know, diet wise and uh, eating more unhealthy, you know, foods like the processed foods, like you're referring to the sugar, the high refined sugars, uh, fried foods, anything like that. Um, or, you know, even uh, land animals, um, anything, you know, because there's okay. so much research about um, all that, that there seems to be like a tipping point where, okay. you know, if you imagine a bucket and it fills up to the top and once it has that tipping point and starts to overflow, I conceptually, you know, relate to patients that this is where different types of lifestyle related chronic diseases manifest. Okay. And it just turns out it just manifests differently for different people, whether it's diabetes, whether it's heart disease, um, and things like that. So is there, how do you conceptualize it for patients, you know, in that way? Uh, and, and I agree with what you said, you know, the, the, this, this information has been around for ages and I feel like, I, I feel like they, that I didn't learn enough about it until later in my career. Um, and, and as I also started to appreciate the connection, the way that I tried to unpack it for people is to talk about, you know, um, talk about, say, an example of a processed food that they might be enjoying and, and say it's a snack that they have at work every afternoon and they, you know, continue to eat it. And they notice in their life that, you know, they might be doing that because of stress. So there's that, that important connection. And I tried to explain it through which is inflammation as well, is through sort of 
what people commonly read in the news, um, you know, or, or see in the media called leaky gut. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. basically, because that really directly describes to them that there are endotoxins formed by the bacteria that mm-hmm. are initially good guys in the gut. You know, they, they're trying to do the right thing. There's always a few bad bugs around as well to create that balance. But when you feed your, your, your gut uh, the wrong foods, um, and by that I mean sort of the unhealthy foods, you know, that we shouldn't be making a habit of, the the bad bacteria thrive. So they just gobble up the sugar. They just, you know, enjoy the, the processed mm-hmm. foods and things like that. But they also then create whatever they're doing in the intestinal permeability of the gut or the gut mm-hmm. wall is that things start to leak through. And these, mm-hmm. these um, chemicals also reach the brain. What someone might notice is that they have an, have irritable bowel, or they have you know bouts of diarrhea or discomfort, or they can't they can't tolerate eating a meal that they previously ate, mm-hmm. and they're wondering to themselves, "Oh, am I allergic to something?" And it may not be that at all. It might just be that they have significant inflammation. The, mm-hmm. the connection I try to make to them is that the inflammation from the gut reaches the brain. So so it's this two it's it's a two-way connection. Mm. It's up and down mm. all the time. And therefore, over time, if they continue to eat that bag of chips or the the fast food and things like that. Mm. And you know, for example, mm. many people don't realize that fast foods, fast food French fries have added sugar. Because mm-hmm. research and development has shown that they're much more delicious, and who could not yep. you know, go up a size in in the the size of the French fries that you want because they're delicious and you can't stop eating them? Was the reason mm-hmm. for that? Research and development has gone into that, and so mm-hmm. um, we don't taste the sugar, but it's there. So mm-hmm. you know, there are many times when we're talking about fast foods, is it's 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 the saturated fats, it's the unhealthy oils, and all of that. All of those things directly affect the in the lining of your intestine or the lining of your gut, and yeah. and that's where the inflammation starts. And you may someone might actually present with depression first, or someone might present with irritable bowel or an inflammatory disease or an autoimmune disease. Of course, yeah. you have to go through a physician and who will help with the diagnosis. But I Correct. ask my patients just not to ignore that. That's that one thing they can start to do differently is start to eat differently as they're doing everything else. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's as simple as saying, you know, you have generalized anxiety disorder or depression and it's due to a lack of Prozac, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it's not as, exactly. it's not as simple as that, you know? And, so and, and there Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Colin. I was also going to say, you know, people do not fall into into the categories that our diagnostic and statistical manual present. And many of my patients simply don't. Uh, and and it is the guide that we use to help diagnosis and treatment. But many mm-hmm. people come in with what I consider to be subsyndromal uh, emotions, meaning, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, they, they have anxiety, they're functioning, they don't feel good. And mm-hmm. so they're not necessarily meeting criteria and, you know, they'll, land, they, they'll end up contacting me because they want to find other ways to feel better. So, mm-hmm. you know, the diagnostic categories don't capture everyone either. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's important to know because I think from a healthcare, from, from a physician point of view, let's just say 
we're not practicing as holistically, right? And we're not considering food and lifestyle. And we're just relying on, you know, what we have now is the DSM-5, which is basically a gigantic Bible of, you know, <laughs> words and vocabulary to help us categorize and put people in boxes, essentially. Exactly. And, you know, and it's it's important to, and, and they're great, and it's very much needed to provide the structure. But like you said, it doesn't really capture everyone in in the in-betweens, quote unquote. And exactly. so we kind of have to in look those gray zones. Exactly. Yes. And we have to look further and we have to look beyond. And, you know, that's why we are pursuing, um, you know, looking at it from a holistic, you know, point of view and going back to your um, uh, original uh, talk about the permeability of intestine wall. I don't know a lot of people know about this, but the intestine wall, your colon, your gastrointestinal, uh, depending on which part, it's as it's almost as thin as you know if you've ever eaten sausage, right? Mm-hmm. And the lining that is used to create sausage, it's literally <laughs> almost as thin as that. Absolutely. Um, and, and so, and, and and so, you know, if you can picture it, how fragile and mm-hmm. how you know how much we can change uh, that type of structure at anatomical level. You can just see how there's just so many, there's like a whole host of things that could come up if we don't treat our bodies well. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's very important. You know, we've been talking about these uh, concepts. And so, you know, so give us some case studies in terms of how you direct this with a patient. Like, for example, mm-hmm. you know, do you do this on a one-to-one um, or do you, are you able to give, you know, talks and demonstrates, uh, you know, this, you know, for people, because using food as medicine, quote unquote, um, you know, it's a very, it, it's very hard to just talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, exactly. in my, yeah, in my experience, you need frequency of visits. Um, sometimes it's better to talk as, as a group because you have a lot of great, Peer to peer interaction, or if you're able to do shared medical appointments or group medical visits, that's a fantastic way of right. conveying information as well. So, how how do you go about teaching these concepts to your patients? Sure, that's um, so. I uh, start off in in the office, and um, then one of the things that I've done, I'm not. Uh, we are actually building out programming that will involve group sessions with sort of cooking demos that integrate the nutrition as well as the sort of the mental health science behind what we're doing. Um, but that is to come and was actually uh, uh, somewhat held up because of COVID. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But some of what I've switched to doing even before COVID was uh, some individuals who may not need to travel into your office, we would do sessions online that mm-hmm. would, where I would instruct them through cooking in their own kitchen. So, mm-hmm. you know, we would, come up with a personalized plan for them. We'd work on the nutrition, what they needed to do, what their symptoms were, what we were working on. I'd send them ahead of time a grocery list and tell them the recipes, give them the recipes so they could practice after our session was done. And then really work with them and tell them why we're doing what we're doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, almost the uh, what I really wrote about in Chapter 11 in my book was, was setting up the kitchen, giving them those simple, so taking someone who, say, has a kitchen but doesn't really cook um, mm-hmm. and, and really starting with those basics with someone else. It could be that they're an, a very effective cook and they just want to learn what are the ingredients that I should be using in my meals? And let's work on some recipes together and, you know, kind of demo with them how to walk or walk through uh, very 
very simple, straightforward recipes so that they can start to implement that. A great example was an individual who didn't uh, didn't cook, had a wonderful kitchen, and really shared with me that it would really matter to her that when her teenage daughters brought their friends home, that she could do something more than order takeout pizza. And she was also understanding through our work together that that wasn't the healthiest choice. Great for a treat once in a while. But if if after basketball practice, they were coming over once a week because her home was closest, she wanted to do more than that. And, and you know, she, she really was starting to make that connection that um, she wanted to offer healthier choices. So, you know, we started off with hummus and um, something where she didn't necessarily have to do the chickpeas from scratch. She could get an organic can of chickpeas and how to work with it and how to use a food processor, which she'd really not used before. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all she had to do was, even if she didn't initially learn how to chop up vegetables, she could buy a fresh crudite platter that was available at the supermarket and mm-hmm. offer them a, a start off with a healthy snack and then build it. Then we, you know, we, we, we learned, we taught her how to make a really nutritious salad and to grill chicken so that in the simplest of ways, she was then able to give them a healthy snack when they walked into the door, provide a salad with uh, with a, a protein side. In this case, she made chicken, um, but how to do it in a way that felt composed. And mm. she did the chicken on the side. So the, the friends that were vegetarian or didn't didn't eat, um, you know, or were more plant-based could have that. But she also learned to add in nutrients that brought protein into the salad, nuts, seeds, other legumes mm-hmm. and things like that. So she, she mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a ton of recipes, but she was so happy and felt so accomplished that she had done these things that she continues mm. to practice those three to five simple recipes um, with her family and her friends. Mm-hmm. And she's been able to expand her, well, not during COVID, but expand her social circle by doing that as well. Because she yeah, yeah. can invite people over, you know, and, and was really experiencing <laughs> a greater sense of community. Uh, through yes. That. Hey, guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Yes. And and I'm sure you agree that, you know, and I think this, you know, this occurs globally that nothing really brings people together more so than food. You know, food, in my opinion, is like the common denominator across all cultures. And it's, it's you know, kind of like music and dance and art. Exactly. It's another language. Exactly. It's another language of how you express. And I love the fact that you shared that because, you know, you're starting very, very basic, right? Mm-hmm. You're taking a case where, you know, maybe maybe not everyone wants to actually cook, cook, right? But exactly. there's other aspects of cooking in terms of very simple preparation, right? Exactly. And, you know, and, and this is also great because it also is able to include, you know, her children. And then they're able to bring their friends over. And like you said, that raises and fosters the relationship between, you know, like a very, very small community, right? And it's easy. I mean, who, I mean, nowadays, you know, anyone can call, you know, do for takeout, you know, now anyone can push an app and have things delivered. That's easy. I think the, the challenging 
But the most reward, most rewarding experience is really about preparing something for yourself and preparing exactly. something, you know, for others. So I think that's great. With your patients, how have you been able to measure how they've been improved? Is it mostly through like symptomatic feedback, um, or is it you know through their uh, how they improve in their culinary skills, or you know how have you been able to kind of measure their feedback in terms of you know when you counsel them or you know as you're going along with them? Sure, that's a great question. So so it's based on uh, you know symptomatology. So mm-hmm. symptom uh, and scales of mood, things like mood, anxiety, that I do, um, even if it's a virtual visit, we still assess that. So I really, I really want to make sure that their symptoms are improving. And for example, that they haven't gotten, you know, more depressed in the sense that they might be trying out these, these different um, means of using nutritional strategies. But for other reasons, they may be not feeling good. So that's why we assess, uh, we assess them um, symptomatically as well. The other aspect is culinary skills and how are they eating. So if they are improving their nutrition, I've noticed an, a very clear uptick of improvement of how they're doing overall. Lower stress, um, just a better mood, um, managing difficult situations that a month ago they would have found super stressful, they're coping better. So understanding that there's that connection between how they're eating, even making a simple salad. Like you said, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to start with a souffle, but you can actually start with a simple green salad and a vinaigrette to get someone started. And and that accomplishment means that they immediately bringing in healthy fiber and fruits and vegetables into their diet. And then, um, you know, the other component is, you know, once, once in a while, there are two things that I do run into. Um, I, one one is orthorexia, where someone is um, really so fixated on a certain health benefit and being almost uh, slightly, they're really healthy, they, they're aiming to do the right thing, but it, it, it gets to be extreme. And mm-hmm. I have to then work with them around, um, you know, how can you still employ those healthy habits, but create more of a balance. And mm-hmm. the other issue that I sometimes run into is that for a different reason, um, either someone experiences a medical illness that, you know, they, they have to, had a, had a patient who has pretty significant asthma. And unfortunately, she went through the cycle a few years ago where she started to get persistent chest infections to mm. the point that they needed hospitalization which doesn't usually happen for chest infections. So these were severe. And the infectious disease doctor was treating her, was had to use antibiotics, antifungal agents, really to help her get better. And each time, you know, uh, she, she would come to me and she would tell me she knew that her gut was disrupted and what should she do. So, you know, we would work around uh, each episode and then, re- then working with her on nutritional strategies to, to feel better. Um, because what she noticed is not only was she fatigued uh, after these hospitalizations, but she was beyond that, she was starting to feel depressed and anxious in a person who had never suffered with any of these conditions throughout her life. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, uh, like you said, meeting someone where they're at, figuring out what they need. And in those specific situations, if they have a medical condition that, you know, that we're not in control of and that mm-hmm. is going to impact their eating and their nutrition, then we have to find other ways to uh, implement change. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great because, um, you know, I 
I think one of the best things about long, you know, longitudinal care or primary care for me, it's, it's having that rapport and relationship and being able to see them uh, ever so often, um, you know, with lifestyle related counseling, it's uh, seeing them more frequently so we can track the progress and see how they're doing. And for them to feel comfortable enough to be able to give that feedback and say like, Oh, Hey doc, you know, I kind of messed up here or, you know, took, you know, just uh, went a wrong turn here. And then you work with them to kind of get them going you know what i'm saying so um so that's great what are some uh common misconceptions when you were researching um or just from your practice experience mm-hmm. um in terms of you know you know nutritional uh and food related questions with the mind with the brain you know what are some common misconceptions that you find from uh different people sure so so some of the misconceptions people have are that uh, many, many, many individuals will ask me at a lecture or other presentation, um, should I be eating fruit? You talk about you know, including fruit and vegetables in the diet, but um, isn't that too much sugar for me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that it, it's really about understanding the balance and understanding that um, fiber is in fruit and vegetables and legumes and nuts and seeds and things like that, but it's not actually not in animal proteins or seafood proteins. Um, so it, it's, it's not only is it um, a healthy source of fiber for your gut bacteria, but it's really the fact that you're getting so many nutrients and vitamins and antioxidants safe mm-hmm. even from all of blueberries than you would um, from something that, that wasn't a fruit. Also, the, the added value is... Um, the added value that it's bringing to your body far uh, is far more important than whatever you're concerned about regarding the sugar. Also, studies have shown that those do not necessarily negatively impact you if you're eating, you know, the appropriate um, serving sizes and portion sizes, of course, become really important. So often people feel they have to exclude fruit because it's it's too many calories and they've been they've gone on a special diet and they can't. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about the balance. And if if I say to my patients, again, in a personalized way, if you notice that you eat a certain fruit and you have a certain symptom, tell me about it. And we can course correct and figure out what that is. If something's not making you feel well or uncomfortable, obviously we should change that. But, uh, you know, a few uh, pieces of fruit and appropriate sizes of berries and, uh, and eating that every day is just a good idea for you. And frozen mm-hmm. is fine as long as there's no added sugar, syrup, or preservatives as well, especially, you know, in the times that we're facing now, uh, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, the, you know, supermarket shelves were empty and people were very worried about what they would get. So, you know, frozen foods and that type of stuff become became important options for people to understand that they were healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and we sure. talked about frozen food um, when I was ha- when I when I had the COVID wellness series oh. um, during season two, and uh, I've interviewed uh, a couple people and and saying that you know frozen foods you know people are buying things that are you know non n- more non perishables right things on shelves and and, right. and we find that frozen food is perfect because it's you know you're pick you're 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 picking it at the peak you know of of exactly. when grown and then just freezing it and we can store it for longer periods of time and it's you know fantastic so uma this has been uh dr Uma's this has been amazing um i definitely want to close out um i'm sure we can talk forever yeah, um, i i i love i love to hear 
hear about my guests in terms of how they personally thrive. So, mm-hmm. you know, the centerpiece of the podcast is really about uh, how 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 does one get up in the morning? You know, what mm-hmm. drives them? What fuels their fire? So, my first part is how do you personally thrive? Mm-hmm. You know, on on a personal level, and then the second part is uh, more action oriented for the audience. So, give us three tips for our audience on how they can jumpstart their brain slash minds with food. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, thank you. So, I think um, this is a hard one for me because I always have so much to say about food. But if I were to say to someone you know, where can you start? Um, I would say uh, say certain things and tell them why. Uh, I'd really like them to eat more f- uh, fruits and vegetables because the fiber in these help your gut bacteria. And by helping your gut bacteria in a good way, you're going to emotionally be better and several health conditions will also improve. Um, uh, so so start there if, if you can and, um, and and pay attention to that. The next thing I would tell them is, you know that soda has a lot of sugar, but you should also realize that savory foods contain a lot of um, a lot of sugar that you don't realize. For example, pasta sauces have a very large amount of sugar. You don't realize that in addition to the tomatoes, which actually is, as an ingredient are healthy, there are added sugars that you need to watch. So when you when you're buying things from the supermarket. Um, you know, be be aware of that because you you may not realize that. Um, I like I, I also like to um, share with people that um, our food labels are in grams and we cook in ounces and pounds. So I mm-hmm. I like to teach my patients that four grams of sugar is one teaspoon, and so if they look at a food label, they can. roughly calculate if they look at a fruited yogurt and there's 24 grams of sugar in a small yogurt would you really be adding six teaspoons of sugar if you had a plain yogurt probably not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and then um the the third thing um i like to i sort of bundle into um into sort of one category and i say all of the foods that you eat and that i will help work with you on um to eat healthier are important um and you'll see the food list in my book but, you know, remember that lifestyle, sleep, um, energy, uh, paying attention to your memory, um, exercising, spending time outdoors, having a sense of community, being with your family uh, or your friends, all of that is important. And I sort of put that in, it's a much larger category than that. But to try to be concise, I, I want to inf- want to share with them that this is a holistic and integrated approach. And it's not going to work if you only just eat well. Just like you can't exercise out of a bad diet, you know, in a similar way, you can't feel emotionally better just by eating. It's one of the many components, but it's the thing you can control the best because you have to eat yeah. every day and and it's something you can you, you can change. Definitely, definitely. And I tell my patients that, you know, don't focus on things that you cannot control, focus on things you can. And so when they are able to reshift how they look at, you know, different things, one, it definitely minimizes their stress and anxiety, especially during, you know, our time when, you know, when you have the when you have the virus that's running around, um, you know, we could easily, you know, go towards, go down that rabbit hole of, you know, what's going to happen and you know, right. what, you know, X, Y, and Z. And um, it just fills people up with uh, fear. And I tell them, listen, you know, everyone's doing the best we can learn as much as you can educate yourself and focus on things you can control, you know, and um, 
I, I agree with you. It's uh, not a one-stop shop in terms of food. I love food. I love cooking. So do you. And, um, you know, it is a huge component, but it's also a puzzle piece uh, amongst everything else, you know, uh, of a larger puzzle. And so, um, you know, but a puzzle that we are more and more, you know, figuring out. So, but uh, it's the fun of not having the complete picture, but hey, you know, we're, we're getting there as, as, as close as we can. So. Absolutely. Um, well, um, I, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, you said it so much better. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. Um, oh, and the first, qu- first uh, question was, yes. how do you personally yes. thrive? Um, so I, you know, uh, I feel that uh, part of it comes from my Hindu roots, but I also feel like many people do this and, and I, it roots, it kind of grounds me. You know, I, I wake up and I, I practice gratitude. I, I, no matter how difficult the, my on-call was the night before or my day might be ahead, I take a moment to center myself in that way. And I try to remember um, three things that I'm grateful about that that had happened, say, in the past 24 hours. Um, I practiced some type of simple meditation. I grew up um, in a family that taught me how to meditate. Um, so I do, even if I can, pra- even I can do it for 10 minutes at some point in my morning, before I start my day, I find it centers me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some people would call that prayer, whatever it is that works for you. For me, it's mindfulness, um, gratitude, and really centering myself in being grounded around feeling that um, I have, you know, uh, I, I have, I was sort of brought up in a family of physicians. And so we have a strong basis of sort of being of service to the community and being of service to humanity. And I, I think that I, I try to remember that when I, when I get up in the day that that is, um, that's important to me and it was how I was raised. And it connects me back to the, the love and the family, you know, the family from whence I came. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And you can, you can tell that the, the, the family and cultural roots are very, very strong and um, you know, it's important to right. reflect on where you come from and, you know, how has that brought to brought you to this point? So, you know, it's very, very, very lovely. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing uh, your time and uh, insights in today's uh, session. If people out there want to look you up or learn more about you or you know want to get your book, where can they find you? Um, I have a website where you can find the book and a little video which tells you about the book. It's umanaidumd.com, which is U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O.com. And uh, you can find me there, find out information, sign up for our newsletter, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it'll just provide a little bit more information. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll put that into the show notes, um, you know, once once the episode is out for everyone to see. Uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on again. I really appreciate you and your work. Um, guys, uh, this has been another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like this, please subscribe and follow. And uh, if you feel this is a benefit for someone else, please share this as, as well. And uh, we will see you on the next episode. Hey guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.